welcome to Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ortiz, and we are here today for this month's episode of Q&A with Courtney. Each month, I sit down to answer all of your questions that you send in about the dance competition world. It's January, so Happy New Year. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday with their families and loved ones. But before we get into our questions, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's been subscribing to the podcast and listening for the past few months. It's been a blast, and I am so proud of how far we've come, and we are so excited to continue this podcast into competition season. So be sure to spread the word and share with any of your dance friends who would love to listen to us talk about all these fabulous dance topics and share on social media. That would be awesome as well. If you don't follow Impact Dance Adjudicators on Instagram and Facebook, be sure to follow us. You will be updated on our podcast episode releases, weekly tips from our IDA judges, and you can even check out which events our judges will be attending throughout the competition season. We've also been hosting some really exciting giveaways from our podcast sponsors that you don't want to miss out on. So be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram. As we all prep for the season and are getting our checklist together for competition, why not check out our sponsor, Level Up Dance Supplies, for any of your dance bag and dance gear needs. Level Up Dance Supplies is a dance mom to own and operated small business that has the largest selection in the U.S. of dance gear and core strength training tools. They carry all the top name brands, including Glamour Gear, Rack and Roll, K&K Miami, and many more. Level Up Dance Supplies specializes in dance bags with racks and carries up to 13 different styles and brands, which would be perfect for competition. They have even designed their own line of innovative dance products, including new rolling rack travel bags, cosmetic cases, mirror stretching bands, and so much more. If you or your dancer is in need of any dance supplies this competition season, be sure to head over to their website now at levelupdancesupplies.com. And don't forget, use the code IMPACT at checkout to receive $10 off your first order. So I'm really excited to get into these questions, but guess what, listeners? I'm not alone this episode. I have the wonderful, the fabulous, my favorite person and co-host, Leslie Mueller here. It's me. Hey, guys. So excited to have a guest on this month's episode of Q&A with Courtney. So Leslie and I are going to answer some exciting questions that you listeners have submitted to us. Yep. Super excited to tackle all these questions, guys. Thanks for sending in some good ones. And if you have a question that you'd like for me or some of my special guests to answer on an upcoming Q&A with Courtney episode, head over to our website now to submit your question or visit our show notes and click the link. You can submit your questions anonymously or you can share your name and studio and I'll give you a shout out live on the air. We also really love audio questions. So if you want to share your voice on the pod, head to the website and leave us an audio recording, which is super, super cool. You can ask me anything relating to the dance industry, like competition preparation questions, costume help, what the judges look for, audition tips, any type of question is welcome. So please head over to the website now and submit. We've also been receiving some really great reviews from all of you listeners, and we'd love to share a few of those because they're just so fabulous and we love them so much. So our first review is coming from Leiden Dance Project, and they say... I've been absolutely loving this podcast. Highly recommend listening for a unique inside look into the world of competitive dance. Great tool for teachers, choreographers, dancers, and parents. 
And we have another amazing review from Sarah Hoekstra. She says, I am a teacher and choreographer from Canada, and I'm always eager to hear other dance professionals' opinions. I've recently come across Making the Impact podcast and have quickly made my way through every episode. The amount of knowledge and insight from the IDA judges, Courtney and Leslie, is remarkable. I'm learning so much, and I can't wait to continue to learn and grow as a dance educator. This podcast is extremely beneficial, and I would highly recommend listening. Yes. Best review ever. Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) We appreciate you. Yay. And yay for reaching to Canada and all across different places. I love it. I know. We're we're around the world now. So thanks, everybody around the world for listening. All right. Let's kick it off. Let's head into our very first question. And this is coming from a dance parent in Lexington, Kentucky that wants to remain anonymous. Their question is... If technique is clean, is there a need for Alice Akon turns and aerials or tricks in routines? I saw many teens this weekend doing more tricks than actual dancing. Yeah, so we see that is, too. <laughs> yeah, we see that a lot. Um, so this is a great question because let's be real. If you are a very technical dancer who can also do Alice Akon turns, aerials, tricks, more power to you. That's amazing. If you are a bomb technician and you have all this power behind you to do all these other things that's awesome i want to see all of it yeah what we don't want to see is things that are not technical being done poorly so you know as we've said many times courtney i feel Mm -hmm. like don't show us what you're working on don't show us what you're not quite ready to do show us what you're ready to do so if you have really great technique but your alice cones aren't there yet maybe leave them out Mm because I want to see your beautiful PK turn. I want to see your beautiful PK arabesque. Do what you can do cleanly and then continue working on, you know, the trick. This is such a important topic to discuss because I think that a lot of parents also, you know, then this question is coming from a dance parent. I think a lot of parents see those dances that have the tricks you know, either from their studio or other studios winning a competition. So as a parent, they're thinking, well, shoot, should my kid be doing the tricks? Is that what wins? And just because you're doing tons and tons of tricks doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. Like Leslie just said, we want to see what you can do. Now, if you can do it, great, awesome, amazing. But something that we've also discussed on this podcast is the fact that as judges, we have to judge what you present to us. So I've been in situations many times where I see a studio come out and they only present tricks like the question is describing and that's all they do. And there's no actual like substance to the choreography. There's no style. There's no uh, choreographic moment that has like a a dance breakdown in the middle of it. It's just like, let's do a bama into a roll, into an aerial, into a leg catch turn. And it's just trick, trick, trick. But as judges, if they're doing them right, then we have to score them a appropriately even Mm -hmm. though if this isn't my favorite you know i i would prefer to see more actual dancing and i do mention that on my critique i usually Mm -hmm, say you know this is you're really great at these tricks like wow i am so impressed by you but i would love to see a little bit more dancing choreography and transitions to connect the tricks it shouldn't just be tricks only right and i think that's one of the things that can really separate dance as an art from something more like cheerleading or more like ice skating where, you know, yes, artistry is taken into consideration, but like minutely, you know, when you're looking at skills, which are truly what your tricks, quote unquote, are, it's a a skill. It's something they learned. It's something that they perfected and it's something that they've presented. So 
you know, if you want to show me skill, 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 trick, 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 trick with nothing in between, again, great. You learned that. It clearly took you time and ability and focus to learn how to do that properly. So like Courtney said, you, ha- I have to score it well because there, it's not... It's not poorly done. It's not poorly executed. Right. However, you know, I think the smart choreographers and the smart dancers and the people that are trying to instill a more creative and artistic background into their dancers are even if those kids or those students have those technical, amazing beast-like abilities, they're not going to just shove it all down our throats mm-hmm. at once. It's too much. It becomes it becomes sanitized. It becomes rote. Um, it becomes like, like watching, you know, just a, a really clean dance team. Like, Mm -hmm. that's great. But also, where's the heart? Where's the love? Where's everything else that goes into dancing? If I just wanted to watch trick after trick after trick, I would go to like an exhibition, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Let's talk about aerials for a minute, because I feel like every dancer in America can do an aerial these days. This is not a hard skill anymore. I feel like when I was growing up, aerials were like kind of a cool trick. They were really cool. I can't do an aerial, please. What do you mean every dancer can do an aerial? I sure can't. Okay, maybe not like our generation of dancers, but like every dancer now in this upcoming generation. Yes. I swear to God, every dancer has an aerial in their solo. Yeah. And it's an awesome achievement, and I'm so proud that you've done it. But when everyone does it, you know, it's like, okay. And we think that, like, and of course, it is a really great skill that Mm -hmm. you learned how to do. I think that it's a great style of acro trick because it's still very beautiful in the Mm -hmm. air. If it's done correctly, it can complement a lyrical routine very, very beautiful. It can complement a jazz routine if it's, like, at a, you know, build in the music. Like, there's a point in time for an aerial, but... At the same time, like, do we need to see it in Mm -hmm. every dance? There have been times when I've judged solos that have someone doing an aerial, like, more than two times. And I'm like, okay, well, you already showed it to me once, so I don't need to see it again. Right. And if this is a jazz routine, you usually there's only like a two to three acro trick limit. And if you're doing an aerial, you might think that I'm going to do a back step out too, or I'm going to do a front aerial because like front aerials are the next Yeah, the next thing, the next new horizon. (laughs) I would say that like those are the more impressive if we have to do an acro trick in a dance like that's more impressive obviously than an, a regular aerial but like everyone's able to do them now. Like, right. I, and it's crazy to me. I mean that's such a hard skill and it's awesome. But you know as judges we don't necessarily need to always see these acro tricks incorporated into jazz and lyrical and contemporary styles of dance. So like are aerials needed? No. Nope. They're they're <laughs> nice to look at if they're done properly. Right. And that's the thing. You have to do them well. Well, and within a dance number. So there's a difference between an aerial in a gymnastics or an acro routine that is meant to show, okay, here's the power. Here's the here's the the hurdle into it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a lot of energy to get your whole body up and around and rotated and then land on your feet. So first of all, most of the time at the beginning of that, it's not going to look nice in a lyrical dance because you're just you're muscling your whole body around right. to get it to work. So, you know, I would I would hold first of all, I would hold on to that that trick until you're able to make it look like it belongs in a lyrical dance. Because right. the last thing I want to see is a huge, giant, powerful, you know, almost it, it can almost look sloppy if it's mm. that powerful mm-hmm. within a gentle, flowy, beautiful right. lyrical dance. Like it just it's it's shocking and jarring when I don't think it's meant to be. Yeah. You know, so so choose wisely where you put it. Please, you know, feel free. If it looks right, if it feels right, put it there. But like if there's something in you that says, oh, this feels kind of out of place, mm-hmm. listen to your gut because you're probably right and 
you know, to interrupt the flow of, you know, some lovely, you know, beautiful, sweet song with just this kind of like shocking yep. acro skill. It's it's doing more harm than good, I think. Yeah. And I I totally agree. And there are so many times like as a judge that I'm sitting watching a routine, regardless if it's acro or any genre and the choreographer decides to put multiple acro skills that this dancer might not be ready for yet to be doing on the stage. And I literally like jolt in my seat because I'm terrified for the dancer Mm -hmm. of getting hurt or falling on their head or slipping because I can tell that even based on the preparation or how they're going into it, it's just not going to be successful and not going to be safe and clean. So we shouldn't be putting acro onto the stage until we are 150% solid. You shouldn't have just learned this a month ago. You should have perfected this acro skill for way over a year. Every time you do it, you should be able to pull it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, there should be no question of, right. are we, are you going to make this happen? Yeah. Because that's scary for us as as a audience as well. So the aerial has to make sense. The front aerial has to make sense. It needs to match the style of the music. It needs to be effortless and beautiful and lyrical it needs to be like powerful and dynamic and jazz it just has to complement the style if we're gonna have it if we need to have it right and then so if we're gonna switch gears a little bit and go more into turns you know again like we were saying all of these skills when they've been taught properly and executed properly there's no taking away the fact that you learned that you learned it you spent time on it you did it so obviously if it's if it's correct yes i do i want to see it but again take into consideration does this piece of music need that turn does it need 16 of those turns Mm. maybe you could get away with three maybe you could do a nice you know menage sequence that's like my favorite thing to put in into a dance if i'm like okay this needs turns but this dancer is not a fuete turn person this Mm -hmm. dancer is not an alicicone person but it needs turns like that music just says to me you got to do some turns here and there is music that says that. Like, yeah. I'm not going to say there's not. But give a nice PK turn sequence. Add a fuete in the PK turn sequence yes. if you want to throw one in. You know, that's so much more interesting to me than either seeing just like, okay, she can do 24 fuete turns or right. 24 alscone turns. And cool. Like, what else? What else can you do? Because at that point, if you're really, really good at it, what else? Like, yeah. now I'm a little bored because you've shown me this. Can you do it on the left? Yeah, exactly. And the fact that if you've done one turn sequence, that's all we need to see. Unless you're showing a variation of the turn sequence. So let's say you are a solid Alessa Khan turner and like, great, awesome, amazing. You want to showcase that in your solo. Awesome. Make sure that it matches the, the part of the music where it belongs and it's not just like whipping out turns out of nowhere and that you execute them properly and technically correct and beautifully. But if we see it once at the, you know, within 30 seconds of the routine, do I need to see it again at, at like the two minute mark? Probably not, unless you're going to give me a different style of turn, like a Fuente turn. Right. Obviously, teachers know their students' strengths. So if they're like, oh, they're a turner, I want to make sure I highlight that and showcase that. That's great. But you also have to make sure it doesn't become too repetitive. Right. You as a teacher need to step back and say, wow, you've done nothing but turns in this routine. Like, mm-hmm. how can we adjust this? Can we do a coupe turn, a pencil turn? an inside turn can we do a front attitude back attitude i love me a back attitude i turn. love a back attitude never <laughs> see enough back attitudes come on now <laughs> no one does back attitudes anymore because they're hard right they involve technique which yes many dancers have but they also involve rotation yes. and a lot of dancers Ugh, yeah. do not have that because right. we're not properly training a ballet class the appropriate rotation that we need to execute some of these positions properly mm-hmm. even talking about us concerns every dancer is working towards them or is able to do them now, but are we doing them technically correct? Probably not because all the concerns are in 
in a turned out position. Mm-hmm. And when you plie in a second, your standing leg should be turned out. And do we ever see that? Never. <laughs> never do I see turn. I mean, I do sometimes, but sometimes. like, you know, I'm going to say 75% of the time I don't see mm-hmm. them done in turned out positions. You also should be taking off from a turned out preparation. Mm-hmm. You also should be for all turn sequences, whether it's Fuerte turns or all turns. I would love to see a successful controlled pull-in at the end oh please a pull-in a pull into like a double you're gonna have so much momentum you could probably like if you're doing all the concerts you probably have triple pirouettes pull into a triple pirouette maybe it's turned out oh my gosh Mm. (gasps) dreams (laughs) (laughs) this is what we want you guys we want turned out alice concerts and fuerte turns we love them it's just you know, and the thing about all cones that I see so often is people are doing them. We're getting into a whole nother conversation. We could have a whole podcast on just all cone turns. Oh, my God, we should. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all cone turns are way easier to fake and to muscle around and to sort of, you know, mm-hmm. pretend like you have them done yep. correctly because of, like Courtney said, the momentum, just the whip aspect of what that leg you know, can do more often than not, like Courtney says, we're not seeing them turned out. We're not seeing them with a turned out uh, working leg or a turned out standing leg. If you mm-hmm. press pause mm-hmm. in the video when somebody's in the plie with that leg extended to second position, ooh, I don't want to mm-hmm. even know what we're going to be seeing because it's, it's like not going to be right. In everything. Yeah. So, like, the thing about, you know, I would much rather see from my ladies at least, you know, working on their fouette turns because if you can master a fouette turn properly because it's harder, your all cone turns are going to magically automatically just work better because you've mastered the technique of a, a fouette. Because, yeah, all cone turns, you can just muscle around and, okay, well, they rotated. And I think to a dance parent or to a layperson who doesn't understand the mechanics of what goes on mm-hmm. in your body to be able to do those turns properly, if you see somebody rotating with their leg out... Mm-hmm. well hooray they did they they did that that's awesome and, yeah you know i can i can see how that would be um confusing to somebody who doesn't understand that there's a technically proper way to do those right so you know here we are telling you like for all the dance parents out there who maybe are confused when they see dance dances that um have all these you know rotations and interesting things like remember that it's almost an optical illusion mm-hmm. if you're looking at it and like okay it's happening and it looks impressive but then if you kind of like put the magnifying glass up to right. it it's actually not being done properly properly exactly yep that's such a great point and that's true and like we have to take points off when things aren't done technically correct no matter how many rotations you've done no matter how many turn sequences you've done and like then there's other you know elements in your routine that will not get points deducted because you are doing them technically correct so it's just like it's just a balance of making sure that you're really showing us what you can do your best on stage and you, the goal is to not get points taken off like right in in a routine so if you are still working on something um you know maybe just reconsider like is this something that i necessarily need because this this isn't as clean and solid as I'd like it to be stage ready. And that means that I'm probably going to get a few technical points taken off. So, you know, as teachers, we have to kind of make sure that we're telling our students that like, hey, I know you want this turn sequence, but listen, it's just not solid enough. And like, if you want to keep it, just know your score might get lowered a right. little bit because of that. But if you're like, no, I want to remove it. Let's find something else that I'm really awesome at to replace it. Then like, that's not a bad idea as well. So we love a trick if they're clean, but 
Is that all we need? No, I definitely, I think we need some substance in the dancing as well. We need a little bit of choreography. We need some movement. We're looking for like that total package. And I think that that's what makes it for me is seeing tricks that are done well, that complement the music that also have choreography attached to the dance. Right. And (laughs) you know, the transitions make the dance. You know, we hear that all the time or we preach that all the time. And it's true. You know, I would, I would much rather see, and we've said this a million times, I'm just, we're talking like broken records. Mm -hmm. uh, But if, if, I can see a clean, simple dance where I can't, I physically can't take points off. If your dance is clean, then that's what I'd rather see. Because Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're showing me an Alyssa Cone that's turned in, points are coming off. Mm -hmm. If you're showing me an aerial where your face has the look of terror before Mm -hmm. you throw it. (laughs) Yep. I got it. I mean, I'm, I'm nervous. You're already, you know, you're putting us in a bad position because you look, you're not confident. And I see that more often than not too with, with some of the more um, airborne tricks that Mm -hmm. we see attempted. Um, is that if your face doesn't look like you're ready for it, right. then I don't have much confidence that you're ready for it. Yep. Um, so you got to also, you know, fake it till you make it on your face, at least. <laughs> so I'm not worried. <laughs> yep. Our next question is coming from a dance teacher named Sarah from Punta Gorda, Florida. Her question is, how do you feel about where the industry has gone as far as appropriateness? I feel as a more conservative studio, we struggle with competing against the studios that have gotten away from actual dance technique and do more booty shaking and dressing half naked. As a judge, how do you feel about where this has gone in recent years? Do you feel studios cannot contend unless they do as the others are doing? Because as a studio, we've decided that's not for us. Ooh, Sarah, that's a good question. (laughs) It is. And we really haven't talked too much yet on any of our podcast episodes about being age appropriate and appropriateness on the competition stage much Mm -hmm. so it comes up every now and then um Mm -hmm. but we'll we're definitely going to tackle this as a main as a main topic for a podcast next season but to kind of give you a at least our two opinions um today so i'm from the south and you know, there's a big regional difference across the country um, as to what is appropriate for what age and what level um, in terms of costuming, in terms of movement, in terms of song choice. And, you know, there are times when as a judge, I have sat there just flabbergasted that some adult has chosen this particular song with this particular movement on these particular children in that particular outfit. Mm-hmm. And it's it's. It just baffles me thinking about the children that I know, the children that are in my family. Some people make no sense. Um, (laughs) And that's, you know, it it is hard for me sometimes as a judge because we have so many um, other rules that we have to work under depending on which competition we're working for. So, you know, I can always have my personal opinion and my personal thoughts, whether I'm allowed to do anything about it in terms of scoring or placement uh, or even really saying too, too much about it. You know, we struggle, I think, as judges with that because we're still trying to, you know, stay employed. (laughs) Right. The appropriateness on stage. I mean, all right. So like Leslie said, I mean, it's definitely regional. Sarah, you're from Florida. And I know that there are some fierce dancers down in Florida. And, you know, you're also in the hot climate. So like as far as costuming, like we wear bikinis all the time at the beach and stuff, you know, like I think that going on to a competition in like a two piece isn't as big of a deal, probably depending, you know, and I think what's kind of interesting to me as far as costuming specifically is I've gone to judge all across the country and in specific regions where i think that it would be more conservative they're like 
not afraid <laughs> to be in little tiny costumes mm-hmm. on stage. And that's shocking to me. Some southern states that mm-hmm. I would kind of expect a little bit more of a conservative atmosphere and it's just like no it's this is the norm and i think i don't know why that is or how that is and like you know i know that the west coast is very different and compared to the east coast it really depends on where where you're located as far as what people feel is appropriate if i have to think about like my growing up i never felt like that i danced anything on the competition stage that felt inappropriate however like i think that a lot of young dancers are doing you know song choices that they shouldn't be doing that's that would feel like i should be watching a 15 year old but i'm watching a nine-year-old and i think that teachers might not even realize that that's that's an issue it is an issue you know song choice is an issue costuming is an issue and it's 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 becoming a little bit abused and i think it's always been around i don't think that you know this is a new thing but i think it is getting a a little more out of hand well and i think courtney you know it's it's not new it's just like with everything else in pop culture we're just seeing it more because Mm. we have access to the internet we have access to instagram i i remember like i'm thinking about like all of these 80s songs that to us feel very tame and very safe Mm -hmm. and all your, you know, maybe you're just thinking like, oh, the beat is so fun. And this is such a fun, you know, pop synthesizer song. Then you start listening to the lyrics and you're like, oh, that's what that's about. Right. And sometimes I think there's that aspect of the music choice that we don't even think about because all we're thinking of is it's a little kitsch. It's old. It's vintage. It's 80s. Like, you know, but I'm also thinking about like the resurgence of Missy Elliott. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her her songs in the late 90s and the early 2000s are very, very inappropriate. Now, look, I love her. They are so much fun for an adult. Absolutely. But I think because we as adults remember that as being such a fun bop that we're we're putting it on young kids. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, do we know? Do you remember what she's singing about? And we just not thinking about it because Mm -hmm. that's not what's occurring to you. You're like, this is the jam. This is my this is old school. This is so fun. And I think sometimes that happens more often than not. It is definitely um, an oversight. Mm -hmm. But I am the judge who my ears perked up. Every single song that comes on, I'm listening for a bad word. I'm listening mm-hmm. for something inappropriate because it matters to me. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of judges that it doesn't matter to. Right. But I think, you know, Sarah, you're saying that, you know, we we as a studio, we've decided that this kind of content and movement is not for us. More power to you. Stick to what you believe, because mm-hmm. I think you can be a successful studio and a successful dancer while staying tasteful, while staying age appropriate. But, you know, you also have to give just a little bit in terms of when when the kids are getting older and and you know you may end up feeling like you're going to lose students because the other studios are doing mm-hmm. you know this more trendy stuff but you know dig deeper find that music that maybe has some aspects of what you're looking for but then also deviates a little bit you know, towards feeling a little bit more mature. Like if you're looking for something, you know, no, maybe not cell block tango, right? but maybe fever. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can, you can yeah. find the balance with things like that. Yeah. I mean, as we, as we get into the teen senior, I'm okay with seeing a little bit more like sultry, a little bit more sophisticated, mature kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that the dancers are understanding how to dive into that style as well. So as choreographers, I'm okay if you go there as long as it's, you know, still appropriate for their age. You don't want them to be in like practically nothing and then like doing like, you know, squats and like popping it and things that you're just like, whoa, 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 this is this this makes me uncomfortable. You know, we have to take a step back and be like, these are still children. They are in middle and high school. We have to look at it like that. Something that people say all the time, like, 
there are dance dads in the audience. There are potentially grandparents in the audience. If the choreography would make them uncomfortable or even if the costuming would make them uncomfortable, then maybe we should rethink it. Absolutely. Um, And again, everybody is going to, this is one of those, it's a fine line. Everybody has a different value system. Everybody was brought up and is bringing their children up with different values. And so, you know, I think better to err on the side of caution with this stuff Mm. because you are in mixed company um, in terms of who you're performing for. Like you don't know who's in the audience, you know, you don't know who you're going to offend or you know, make upset or distress by what you're doing. So, you know, obviously, as artists, we do want to be able to try to push the envelope in certain ways. But I do think also on the flip side of all of this, what I also I get a little confused sometimes when I've seen studios before go the opposite direction with age appropriateness. And I've seen teenagers dancing to Mm -hmm. like walk the dinosaur Mm -hmm. to use like a very easily recognizable like children's song. Like I don't want to see a 15 year old dancing to that because it's not appropriate for their age. That's a song for children. And so, you know, you have to find those artists that speak to you. Like Little Mix is one that comes to mind. That's like most of their music is extremely fun, really danceable, very clean, Mm -hmm. very appropriate, popular with, with teenagers. Like that's, that's a compromise. You know, Mm -hmm. that is something that I think you can let kids and students express themselves safely and you as well as the choreographer and teacher um, without making them feel babied or without putting them into, you know, a situation or, or a costume that's uncomfortable for anybody. Yeah. And I think that another, another thing to mention that I noticed at competition that I think is kind of interesting is, you know, as far as like the booty shaking and things like that, that are choreographed into routines. For some odd reason, the audience, the parents and the teachers and the dads decide to like Mm. hoot and holler Mm -hmm. during those specific sections. Very confusing. They're like, yeah, let's booty shake. Go, go my little six-year-old booty shaking. And I'm kind of like, wait, what? Why are we applauding for that? I mean, not that it's not cute and fun sometimes for depending the age, but like, I don't know. It just feels like, you know, we're supporting it yeah like glorifying it yeah and i think that other studios see that Mm -hmm. and they see how amped up the crowd is and like oh my gosh the crowd loves it and you know they're gonna get bonus points because the the crowd is cheering for them for booty shaking i just i just always have thought that that's kind of weird and i don't think that people should look at that as like something that the judges give points to and the other thing that I that I think is worth mentioning and I think is why a lot of people are confused about this age appropriate thing and if they need to like follow the trend. People say this all the time, like why do the dances that are inappropriate the ones that are winning? And the reason that these dances win is because most of the time, and not always, but a lot of the time, these dancers who are dressing half naked and booty shaking, but also doing really great technique with unbelievable tricks and Mm -hmm. you know when when we take those inappropriate elements out of it and we look at the dance outside of that they're actually doing technically correct things and um not always but like a lot of the time and they maybe be on their ears or they're doing very advanced moves and you know we have to score what is in front of us all we can really say is you know i don't feel like this costume is appropriate i don't feel like this song choice is appropriate or i don't feel like some of this movement is appropriate that's really all all the judges can say and there are times when we can deduct some points in the choreography score if that is allowed based on the competition we're judging for but not all the time so we have to just judge what's in front of us and even if we feel it's inappropriate uh, we can mention that on our critique but a lot of people say don't penalize the dancer 
that's the choreographer gave them that and that's what they did and they did their dance well so we have to score it based on that so that's why it looks like that the you know those types of dance might win all the time but that doesn't mean that we also 100 percent agree with what was on the stage either sometimes we're kind of in this this sticky situation for us as judges where there's not much we can do besides just say hey i feel like personally this is a little bit inappropriate or you know this isn't really age friendly maybe we should adjust that choreography right there and they can either take it and fix that for the next competition or leave it and say no i think it's fine and they won first overall so i'm okay with it you know Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, as as hard as it is to kind of stand your ground, so to speak, in whatever you believe in when you do see all of these things happening around you, I think the other important thing to think about is that that other studio is holding their ground as well. Like Courtney says, you know, all we can really do sometimes is voice our opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, score appropriately if it is a technically clean sound dance. I got to give you those points. I can't I can't not give you those points. But, you know, just like we're trying to say to them, you know, I don't think this costume is appropriate. I don't think this movement is appropriate. They're going to take it or leave it just like you're going to take or leave whatever we tell you. Um, And I would I would guess most of the time studios that are presenting material like that, they're doing so because they've seen right positive results from it. Right. Um, Now, does that mean that we agree with them? No, like Courtney said, you know, I'm scoring a routine the way that I see it if there's you know, technically sound material in it. And the other stuff is just, you know, sometimes we have to try to ignore it a little bit. Yeah, I know. It's it's unfortunate that it's like that. And I think that, you know, the industry is trying to slowly make some changes and really enforce some of these, you know, deductions and things like that. And um, until all competitions really get on board with that, all that we as judges can really do is just kind of speak our opinion on the critique and and just let them know, like, hey, I'm on I'm a little uncomfortable. I think this is inappropriate for this age. You know, maybe rework this section, maybe change the, the costume. That's really all we can do. And we like a lot of the dance parents and the dance teachers request from the judges is don't penalize the dancer. That's what everyone Mm -hmm. kind of goes back to is don't penalize them for my mistake or my dance teacher's mistake or whatever. You know, it's about the dancers. You're right. It is about them. We're trying to guide you as as teachers as well and inform you of, hey, maybe you need to take a step back and see that this isn't maybe the best appropriate song or costume or movement for this age range. And, you know, we're on the judge's side. It's just an opinion. Take it or leave it. We're trying to help you. It is about the dancers and we want them to feel comfortable on stage and this dance will do even better if you kind of rework this and think about it and have a different perspective sometimes um, which is hard for a lot of people to accept and see and we've talked about this on the podcast too judges come from all different regions when they're judging they're not just down the street so what might feel normal to you know people in Florida might feel completely different to the judge that flew all the way in from like Iowa or something. You know, you never know where the judge came from or their background and what their expectations are when they're, you know, judging at an event. So that that really matters too. Yeah. And I think what what it comes down to is we we don't make the rules as judges. We are you know contracted employees of a company. So if if this is bothering you about a particular competition, speak to the competition director because they're ultimately the ones who can change and enforce their rules. We can't. So if you know if you truly want to speak to someone, you know, who is in charge, the competition owners and directors are the people that will be able to guide you a little bit better in terms of what they expect from their um people who come to their events. So overall, um, how do we feel about how this has gone in the industry? I, I don't love it. I mean, I, I, I kind of wish that everyone would just 
stay appropriate. And, you know, like we've said, everyone has a different view of what is appropriate to them. But I just kind of think we all need to remember that this is a youth dance competition. Uh, There are all different ages in the audience, regardless if you are in, let's say, a teen category and you're thinking, well, these dancers are more mature. They can do something that is appropriate for their age. There might be a seven-year-old sitting in the audience that might feel uncomfortable or there might be a uh, dad that might say, oh, I just don't feel feel okay watching this. You know, we want to make sure that the audience is always comfortable and enjoying themselves and yeah, entertained in the appropriate ways. <laughs> right. Especially at that kind of venue, because, you know, like Courtney said, most of these competitions that we're attending, judging and, you know, attending as dancers and teachers are for 18 year olds, years old and under. So know your audience. Mm-hmm. This is not a place to showcase work that would be better showcased in a college yes. seminar or a concert dance venue where you're trying to push the envelope. Mm-hmm. You're trying to make people uncomfortable. Right. That's, you know, like Courtney said, you're going to have a seven year old in the audience. You're going to have people who are, you know, not expecting certain things to come at them at a youth dance competition. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are going to you know a a collegiate kind of situation or a dance concert piece festival recital yeah i mean so like you're you're going in knowing that this is may or may not be adult content quote unquote you may or may not be triggered by something you may or may not be made uncomfortable on purpose Mm -hmm. so know your audience um and i think you know coming from sarah you know here she is clearly a studio who does know her audience because she's staying within the conservative um you know realm of what she's presenting so you know preaching to the choir here sarah but for (laughs) everybody else you know who may feel the kind of an urge to kind of fight back against these opinions i mean i would say to them know your audience Mm -hmm. your audience is you know moms and dads and grandparents and other kids so you know do you really want to make anybody that uncomfortable with your art with nine-year-olds i don't know maybe you do (laughs) maybe you do and like it's a free country do what you want in terms of you know personal opinions I, i agree with courtney i would rather things you know Keep them little, as as they say. Mm-hmm. Keep the kids little and let them, you know, stay appropriate as long as they can. Because there's there's the rest of your life to booty shake. <laughs> Absolutely. What a way to end it out on that on that one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listeners. I'm sure we are all prepping and packing away for the quickly approaching competition season. And now that you have a dance bag to haul your costumes, it's time to start thinking about accessory gear you may need, like garment bags, mirrors, and cosmetic cases. Our season sponsor, Level Up Dance Supplies, has you covered with all the gear you will want and need to get you through those long competition dance days. Their garment bags come in two convenient sizes, the standard and the mini, with features such as front and side zipper entry, a privacy compartment, an easy loop system, and a variety of eye-popping colors with matching or contrasting zippers. It's really hard not to love these bags. Other must-have accessories include mirrors, cosmetic bags, and cases that will keep you super organized. And if you're still looking for a dance bag, Level Up has nine different brands and styles that I know your dancers will love. Level Up Dance Supplies is all about maximizing your dollars and offering quality products that will last you a lifetime. Head over to their website now to purchase those final few things you may need for the season at levelupdancesupplies.com. And don't forget to use our special promo code IMPACT at checkout to receive $10 off your order. All right. Our next question is coming from a dance parent named Heather from Rocky Hill, Connecticut. 
Her question is song meaning and connection. I have two young dancers, 11 and seven. Many songs have very adult meaning, so this can be difficult. I assume you have heard every song out there or at least most. So if there is an unfamiliar song not commonly used, how is it viewed when a child connects with most of it? Also, how can you tell? Listening to the words, watching the dancing, observing the costume while speaking or rating critiques all in a three minute window seems crazy to me. But how important is this? Well, Heather... You're not wrong. (laughs) It is crazy. Our job is really hard. Yes. You know, don't think that, you know, we have this glamorous, awesome. It is awesome. It's definitely not glamorous. But, you know, we sit there for hours on end listening to, yes, every song that you've ever heard ever um, over and over again. And so when we do hear an unfamiliar song, number one, I'm personally very excited and very happy. And I will usually say like, wow, what an interesting song choice. Like I've never heard this. Like, and it's a, it's points basically. It's like, you know, quote unquote, not real points. I can't give you points for a good song, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I'm excited to hear a new song. Um, And yeah, like you said, we have to listen to the words of the song. We have to watch the dance. We have to look at the costume. We have to um, give critiques and all these things. So there's, there's, you know, probably about 10 to 15 things going on in our brains at any given time Mm -hmm. while we're watching your three minute dance. Um, And so in terms of your song meaning, I'm I'm thinking mostly about lyrical right now when we're thinking this age and Mm -hmm. things like that. So, you know, so often, like you said, we're, you know, every Celine Dion song ever is about love or heartbreak. Um, You know, same thing with any popular artist. That's a very common theme, you know, with music. And so it can be really hard to find age appropriate music for these ages that can really relate to what's going on. But I think of um, one particular song that stands out to me that I always love to hear because it's just so perfect for a young dancer is um, the Sarah McLaughlin song, uh, When She Loved Me from Mm -hmm. Toy Story 2. Mm -hmm. That is pure. It is innocent. It is about, you know, the love between a child and her doll or her Mm -hmm. toy. And like, what could be more appropriate than that for a child that's 10 and under who has, you know, this, this thing that they love? That is the kind of music I would like to see children dancing to. Yeah. And yes, you're going to have to do a little digging because those songs are not on the radio. Those songs are not in the forefront of what we're hearing on a daily basis um, as adults. Mm -hmm. So you are going to have to go a little deeper into your Disney movies, into your Pixar movies, into all these, you know, other places to find music and artists that you may not listen to regularly. Um, But they're out there. So I think it, you know, you got to you got to dig deeper. Yeah. And thinking about songs in general, which I think is another great topic that we should probably do next season Mm -hmm. on the podcast. It's just like song choice and selection and how to find songs that you know as we said we we like hearing new songs we don't want to hear the same song every at every event i mean like like heather you said like every we've heard so many we've heard all the songs and like you just said leslie it is hard to find age appropriate Mm -hmm. songs that you know can connect to a dancer at such a young age as a seven-year-old i mean heather has an 11 year old and a seven-year-old those are those are young ages that you know how many songs can we really find that they're going to understand what the meaning is and understand what the lyrics mean and and connect to that in some way so i think that is why we do hear so many songs over and over again is because when you do find those very few songs Mm -hmm. that are appropriate for that age level then you're like oh i gotta use it Mm -hmm. and i and i agree i think that feel free to use it can we find a cover can we find a different version of it can we you know make it different in a new way we have to kind of 
go in that direction because it does seem to just get completely repetitive when we see the same song, the same theme over and over and over again with some of the younger dancers. And I think that that's a struggle for dance teachers is finding that music. But when I think about different artists and something that I always recommend, even when just looking for songs in general for teachers is we always tend to kind of gravitate to the songs we've heard before a competition and you're like oh this is a great song i love it i'm gonna shazam it or i'm gonna like you know put it into my spotify playlist and i'm gonna use this next season but instead of using that exact same song why don't we get inspired by the artist and then start digging through their albums and their other songs within that album you might find another song that's just as appropriate or just as great that you've not heard as frequently at competition we appreciate that as judges we don't want to hear those same songs all the time So, you know, that means, yes, you have to do a little bit more digging as a teacher. And that's frustrating because we don't have all the time in the world. As dance teachers, we do like so much homework on the back end. Besides (laughs) just teaching your kids how to dance for those few hours that we're at the studio at night, we're doing homework during the day at all hours of the night rhinestoning costumes and and (laughs) looking for music that like songs that are appropriate you know it's a never-ending job as a dance teacher but i think if you just go that extra mile and just a little bit further with digging for music you'll be able to find some more choices that do work for your dancers Yeah. And so you asked, uh, Heather, how can you tell if a child is connecting with the music? So I'll tell you how I can tell that they're not connecting to the music is, you know, if I see a seven year old dancing to a lyrical song about heartbreak and, you know, my boyfriend left me and he, you know, went to be with another woman. And just number one, if the song is referring to anybody as a woman and you are seven and you are dancing to it, you're not connected to it. <laughs> right. You can't. You're seven. Yeah. Um, it's Your brain is not formed in that way yet. Um, so that's number one. But number two is the coached facial expression expressions mm-hmm. that I see. These The angst, the mm. sadness, yes. the, the devastation that somehow somebody has made that child look like that mm-hmm. while they're dancing to a sp- specific part of the music. That's coached. And I can tell in a heartbeat that Mm -hmm. that child doesn't know why she's making that face. She's making that face because somebody told her to make that face or said, you know, your puppy dog is really sick. How would you feel? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's really unfair to do to a child. Like we're not method actors at seven. Um, We shouldn't be anyway. I think especially in the low stakes competition world. Um, You know, if you were a child actor and you were going to be in a Steven Spielberg movie and you need to cry on cue, that's a whole nother thing. But we're at a dance competition. If you're seven, you're probably in the novice category. You probably dance maybe two days a week. We don't need you to cry on stage. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to be that emotional. So yeah, if, if I'm seeing these sort of contorted, distorted, angsty facial expressions on a child, that's not connection to me, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why I would like to see you dance to a joyful song when you're seven. Neither can be happy, pleasant, joyful, childlike, lyrical dances where you can express something other than being sad. Because, again, we have our whole lives to be sad. There's (laughs) going to be a lot of sad things that happen to everybody, you know, as we get older. And if we can just hold on to that, like, joy that we have when we're seven, let's just do that. Yeah. Because why why put them through anything else, you know, if you don't have to? And I, I think that people gravitate towards these like emotional, angsty songs because they think that's what wins. Right. And if they, you know, show that emotion on stage and really dig deep and find that, that, you know, the judges are going to appreciate that and they're going to see that and they're going to notice how committed they are to the performance. And 
I don't really think that's always true. You know, I think that there is a maturity level that comes attached to connecting in that way. And like you said, Leslie, you have your whole life to be sad. And um, not that like sad wins. That's not always true. But like, I want to believe it. Mm -hmm. I I don't want it to feel pressured or or you know like you know yes we are actors on stage absolutely Mm -hmm. a thousand percent the moment you walk out on stage you are an actor until the moment your foot steps off of it but at the same time the best kind of solo and even for groups as well is the ones that we can really connect to and relate to and understand the meaning of it Oftentimes we've we've all seen, you know, dancers that are in group routines and maybe the choreographer has a a vision and they have an idea or a concept that is very personal to them, but is not maybe appropriate like song choice or even like the style of the dance. It might not be best suited for this age dancer or group of dancers and they're doing the best they can to try to make this vision come to life for Mm -hmm. the choreographer but we also have to remember like who again like we just said in the last question who our audience is and um things like that are important so i don't know i i think that like teachers think that we have to always you know dig deep with those emotional songs and i think that for like the petite age category like the minis like the six and unders the eight nine ten we have to make sure that we're dancing in a pleasant, uplifting, happy way because those kids are amazingly happy and they're so joyful and I love seeing their smiles. Like, not that they can't do an emotional dance, but like, you know, but I don't know. But it has know. to be an age-appropriate emotion. Yes. You know, I lost my favorite doll. Yeah. That is legitimate. That yeah. is something that a seven-year-old would cry about. I cried they, about it. I, mean, I lost my Beanie Baby at, like, the grocery store when I was eight. And I, like, was that, like, devastated me, like, as a kid. Yeah. You know? Like, that's something that I can relate to. Right. Not, and, like, <laughs> broken-hearted. My boyfriend broke up with me, and right. I'm eight years old. So, like, I think just for, you know, for the parents out there... I'm not looking for your seven-year-old to be dancing about heartbreak. That's not what I want to see. That's not what I'm interested in. For the teachers out there, I say this for myself as well. We have to drop the ego of this is my vision. This is the song that I want to do. If you don't have the kids that are going to be able to pull it off, Mm -hmm. you have to be honest with yourself and, and say, this is not the right group for this. I want to do this piece so badly. This is so meaningful to me. I, this thing has happened in my life that I want to express through dance and I have these kids. If if the kids that you have are not the right kids to do that, don't put that pressure on them. Don't put that pressure on yourself. Save it. Mm-hmm. Because eventually you will have the group of people that can pull that off emotionally, technically, physically, everything. Um and do them the service of giving them something they're going to be good at, as opposed to making it about yourself. And I've had to do that many times where I've just, I've, you know, I have a several ideas in the back of my head that I just don't have the people to do it yet. Yep. It's still back there. I'm still going to do it one day. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You know, I think we all probably feel that way. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's hard for us as, as artists um, and as choreographers to not have the, you know, right group to make this vision come to life. But every single thing and topic that we talk about on the podcast and in general at Dance Studios, it's it's about the kids, right? It's like, yes, we as teachers want to be fulfilled and we are artists in ourselves as choreographers, but we also have to remember, is this appropriate for the kid? Is the kid going to connect to this? Is this the best thing that I can give them that's going to help them shine on stage and help them, you know, achieve their goals and have success at competition or recital, whatever, whatever the 
the stages. Yeah. So I think, um, Heather, kind of to wrap up your question, yes, please use unfamiliar songs. We appreciate it. <laughs> uh, please have your children dance to things that they can really relate to. Um, and our job is hard, you know. So if you are listening to a critique and maybe you're not pleased or you, you don't think there's enough in it, you know, just remember, we are doing all of those things that you said and more while we're watching your three minute dance in the middle of a day that could consist of 500 dances. Mm -hmm. So we are doing our best, you know, which is why we are doing this podcast to give you even more because obviously, you know, we've been talking about this topic for what, seven minutes, um, and it's two of us. So clearly, we have a lot to say, I can't say it all in three minutes. So I, you know, I appreciate everybody uh, listening and tuning in and sending in questions because we do want to help. We do want mm -hmm. these kids to succeed and to get all they can out of their critiques. You know, so here's this podcast. Here's more information for you. Um, so thank you for listening. All right. We have made it to our final question of this episode. And this is coming from a dance teacher who would like to remain anonymous from New Mexico. Their question is, hello, this is the second year one of my students has asked for a contemporary point solo. So my question is, is it better to enter her in the point category or the contemporary category? Ooh, good question. And I love when people ask questions like this because I'm all about appropriate category placement. So thank you for asking this difficult question, actually. It is difficult. Um, and I like this kind of question, too, because it's going to show how varied the answers are going to be mm -hmm. and how you're not going to please everyone with whichever choice you make somebody's going to say it's not right. So my uh, answer to that would be open. Mm. I would not put it in the point category or the contemporary category. Um, and my reasoning behind that is because in the contemporary point solos that I've seen in the competitions that I've judged um, over the past eight years, which are not, you know, it's not the Grand Prix. It's not any, any sort of specific ballet competition. These are all your general dance competitions. The contemporary point solos that I've seen have included way more floor work um, than point dancing. And to me, it would have made more sense to just do the dance barefoot. Mm. Um, because there was not enough work on point for it, for me to consider it a point dance. When when I'm looking at point, I want to see you be on those shoes, you know, working in those shoes in mm -hmm. the style of point 95% of the time. Um, so that could mean a variation, a classical variation. That could mean a choreography of your own, uh, from your own head uh, that incorporates, you know, point in the ballet world. If you're putting it at the contemporary category, then you're you're kind of an anomaly. It's a little shocking, um, mm -hmm. you know, to see, especially because the contemporary category is huge yeah. these days. And, you know, for some people, it might be a breath of fresh air. But right. for me as a judge, I'd be confused. I would be confused. I, I feel like if you're going into the open category, it's because it's such a fusion. Mm -hmm. um, I would prefer to see it in open. Yeah, I, I mean... The way that you explain that makes makes total sense because I do think that it really depends on the choreography. You know, mm -hmm. like we don't know. This is just a general question. So like I haven't seen the contemporary point dance, so I don't know how to really classify it without seeing it. You know, describing it in the sense of it is an actual like contemporary ballet that's done on point, then I would say, and if that's the case, I would put it in the point category. But if we're doing like more of the fusion, like you described, Leslie, where it's like competitive contemporary mm, dance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with a point shoe on, then maybe it is better suited for open. Like you also mentioned, it's 
we're not at YAGP, but I feel like that there are dancers who do come to regular dance competitions and mm-hmm. bring their classical variations mm-hmm. that they're prepping for YAGP. And at YAGP, you usually do a classical ballet variation, whether it's on flat or point, usually point, but depends on your age. And then you also have to compete a contemporary solo as well. And what does that mean? I think that contemporary in the YAGP world is a completely different uh, definition mm, yes. as to what we expect and what those judges expect for contemporary dance. And I think it's very much more, you know, structured in the contemporary ballet foundation with a lot of use of modern dance mm-hmm. and uh, controlled technique, whereas we've kind of created our own like competitive contemporary category at competition which is like you know acro comes in i just think of acro immediately because like that's all i see like contortion and acro and and then infusing that into like contemporary movement so if we're going like complexion style point which is what i envision when you describe contemporary point solo to me then i would put that in the point category and not the open because if you're on point shoes and you're using your shoes properly and you're doing a lot of point work like leslie mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, you know if there is a little bit of floor work in there whatever but like if we're gonna be getting down and doing like chin stands with our point shoes on and like contortion with a point shoe and it's barely point and you just are wearing the shoe then that's not point right like that's kind of what you're saying is i need to see there needs to be a certain amount of point work being done majority point Mm-hmm. if it's going to be in the point category right it would be like putting a dance in the tap category and you had like four shuffles but i've seen that well y- yes <laughs> and then, then it's it's the same situation it's like why it are is. you here i can't judge you because you're not doing the thing that you right. told me you were doing right um so yeah with the point i think it's definitely a case-by-case basis so for this teacher asking you know what should i do it's going to depend on what you do as the choreographer right so if you're choosing to make it a contemporary ballet solo on point, mm-hmm. then fair. Yes, right. put that in the point category. But if it is going to be more of a fusion, more skewing towards the contemporary right? with a couple of point elements added, maybe stick it in open, maybe consider contemporary, maybe show up one time, do it contemporary, see how it goes, come to the next event, put it in open. I think that it would be extremely risky to put a more contemporary than point solo with point shoes on in the contemporary category because you're already kind of like setting yourself up for failure because you have point shoes on. So like we're going to judge you extra hard and we expect you to know how to use your point shoe properly if you are even coming on stage with that. Mm -hmm. So like there's already a higher expectation from us as judges as to what we expect with a point shoe on stage. Now you're putting it into a contemporary category where we're going to see so much so many different styles of contemporary in that why not really try to stand out in something completely different and if that means that you have to make it a little bit more point than you originally intended to that's okay because i think that it would make more sense for you to like you know go into the uh, the appropriate genre instead of trying to just like be a little bit different by putting a point you on and being contemporary if I was watching a dance that was predominantly contemporary that had a point you want, I'd just be like, take your point shoes off. I don't care. Right. You're not doing anything yeah. on point. So like, who cares? Just be barefoot like everyone else. Yeah. And that's that's my opinion, too, that if, you know, if, if it's not, again, like I said, 95 percent on point or working in a point shoe the way you're supposed to work in a point shoe, then why? What's the point? Right. Yep. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, definitely good good luck with that this season. I'm, I you know, hope to maybe see you one day on the stage, um, and maybe it'll be you. 
All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this month's edition of Q&A with Courtney. And thank you to my very special guest and co-host, Leslie Miller, for joining in on this discussion. Thanks for having me, Courtney. This was super fun. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at Courtney.Ortiz and Lil underscore Les 36. Don't forget to head over to our Apple Podcast page now and leave us a fabulous review. We would love to hear your thoughts and we may even share your review live on the air. And if you have a question that you want answered live on the podcast on our next Q&A with Courtney episode, send it over to us now. Your question can be about dance competitions, what the judges look for, studio training, anything relating to the dance world. So head to our website at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash podcast. We have some exciting topics coming your way soon on the podcast, like tap, competition kindness, and an interview with Rebel Dance Convention. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and tune in every Monday for new episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in to this month's Q&A with Courtney episode on Making the Impact. Until next time, keep dancing.